Welcome to Studio Tulsa. I'm Scott Gregory, sitting in today for Rich Fisher. We have on our program another installment in the Museum Confidential podcast series, which is a co-production of Public Radio Tulsa and Philbrook Museum of Art. And this time around, MC is looking at a show that's soon to open at the Royal Academy of Arts in London. That show is Souls Grown Deep Like Rivers, Black Artists from the American South, which will present 60-plus works by noted Black American artists, and we'll learn all about the exhibit as we get into Museum Confidential. Thanks for joining us. Are you sitting comfortably? Then I shall begin. Conversations about race are central to the American experience. But what do our friends and allies around the globe know about our history of slavery, segregation, Jim Crow, and institutionalized racism? Next month, the Royal Academy of Arts in London will open the special exhibition, Souls Grown Deep Like Rivers, Black Artists from the American South. Created in partnership with the Souls Grown Deep Foundation in Atlanta, the show highlights more than 60 unique works by notable black artists over the last century. We recently had a moment to speak with curator Raina Lampkins-Fielder of the Souls Grow Deep Foundation about this important show and so much more. From Philbrook Museum of Art and Public Radio Tulsa, I'm your host, Jeff Martin, and this is Museum Confidential. I, uh, I want to begin by kind of looking at the origins of the, of the exhibition and um, kind of giving our listeners a sense of what your organization is. I think some people may have heard of Souls Grown Deep, um, but maybe you could give a little bit of a background and, and, and what the mission of the organization is. Sure. Souls Grown Deep is actually two parts. We have the Souls Grown Deep Foundation and the Souls Grown Deep Community Partnership. The Souls Grown Deep Foundation is, for lack of a better term, it's the art part of our work and so through the foundation we hold a collection of around a thousand works of african-american artists from the south and we do exhibitions publications we work with museums with their acquisitions and with their shows and really the mission of the foundation is to promote the work of these artists um, many of them unsung underrepresented to a larger, uh, to the world, globally. Um, the community partnership looks at some of the, responds really to the, um, some of the issues of disenfranchisement that kind of led to some of the reasons why we don't, uh, we're just beginning to be able to explore these artists' work. And so with the community partnership, that's more of, of the philanthropic arm of what we do. Now, the Souls Grand Deep Foundation was, founded in 2010, and it was about introducing the contribution of, of some 160 Black artists in total from our collection coming from the American South. And so the exhibition, Souls Grown Deep Like the Rivers, um, Black Artists from the American South at the Royal Academy, in some ways kind of grew out of our mission. Um, it's part of our mission to, rather than have a brick and mortar space where people come to us Part of our mission is really to share this work as broadly as possible so that people 
uh, are introduced to these artists, that they can sort of delve deeply into their artistic practice. So in a way, the Royal Academy, the exhibition that will be at the Royal Academy of Arts in London, uh, really speaks to why we're here, uh, which is allowing this exploration of these artists and to kind of, in some ways, fill in the gaps that we find in the American art historical canon, the art historical canon writ large, um, with an area that hasn't really been explored in a certain way. And so it's allowing for audiences to really tap in to influences, to materials, to different ways of expression that they might not have been introduced to before. And ultimately it kind of enlargens how we look at art and creativity. One of the reasons I was really curious about this exhibition, of course, was trying to understand what the knowledge base is uh, abroad of, you know, issues that you're dealing with in the show, whether that's, you know, Jim Crow era policies or institutional racism or anything that's kind of associated with some of America's uh, more troubling past. And I've always wondered, you know, in Europe or abroad, anywhere else, you know, what the general knowledge is. I think it's certainly grown over over the last few years. Um, Absolutely. Especially with movements like BLM and things like that. But when you first were working on bringing this to London, was there an awareness of this being like totally new work or a new concept for the audiences there? Or was there a a need already or a desire that you were seeing from that part of the world to see work like this? You know, first, you know, the works that are shown in the exhibition, and there are 64 works by 34 different artists that cover all kind of formal and uh, media bases. So we have sculptures, assemblage, paintings, drawings, quilts. You know, the works, though, it's kind of, um, they respond to issues and themes that are kind of shot through the lens of the United States. These issues and themes really are global in nature. We're talking about economic inequality, oppression, social marginalization, the uncertain political landscape, environmental concerns, the influence of, 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 of one's location and place and how that finds itself into the work of artists. So that is something that really can be appreciated by many. Um, by all. It's like common, in many ways, very common human themes. Also themes of joy and transcendence and family and resilience. But yes, it is true. We have slightly different conversations, more nuanced conversations, depending on, on where we are. But certainly for uh, London, an exhibition like this is important um, because the Black diaspora, as it is, is global in nature. And so it also is a response in many ways to the local population in, in the UK. And when we're looking at issues of Jim Crow, when we're looking at the legacy of slavery, all of this is very much tied into Europe as well. I mean, certainly the Middle Passage, um, that we have a, a horrible relationship then in this respect with, with Europe. And so this is also a moment for um, Europeans to reflect on their history as well as it's being sort of brought back. But it's also a very interesting conversation just within the Royal Academy space itself, because you know, this was a space that has a fairly long and storied history, you know, founded in 1768 by Sir Joshua 
Reynolds as a place of um, teaching. It was to establish Britain's first art school. And so I think that this exhibition as well kind of plays to as a more contemporary understanding of how artists create work, where influences come from, that sometimes sources are a little bit more informal than what we might see in the kind of the strict academy. So it really is going to, at least within the Royal Academy, one of my hopes is that it stimulates a real dialogue around different modes of acquiring artistic skills on exhibition and these sorts of things. So these are all, um, while there are subtle differences in how perhaps the work is seen, accessed, I think for me, and I think for, for Souls Grown Deep, ultimately it's about the work itself. And it's about, in many respects, new narratives that are being presented. And so there's curiosity about that. You know, one of the things that you note in the materials for the show is the idea that these, and, and we should say, you know, these are Black American artists from the last century. That's kind of what the focus is of this. From the last century, yes. And, and from the American South. So that's, and lots of people have different interpretations of what that is as well. Yeah. <laughs> so that yeah. kind of runs from sort of Tennessee to Texas, over to Florida, Alabama, Georgia, this, this area. And the work's range from uh, the earliest work in the show is from the 1930s, a quilt, to uh, a work made in 2022. So it really runs the century for us. It's, uh, we could have a whole other show probably about what is the South. That's like a whole episode. Probably. Oh my gosh, without question. <laughs> Who claims themselves as Southern, all those things. But you talk about the fact that they were mostly practicing in isolation, away from the traditional academy or the, or, or access to educational uh, tools that, that some may have had. And, you know, and we have another term, outsider artists, right? And that's something that we're always talking about in the art world. Do you think just by the circumstances and everything else, do you view Black American artists of the South from the last century as outsider artists because of the lack of access? Do you see an overlap in those two things? No, I, I don't see these artists as outsider artists at all, full stop. I think that you know, a category, these sorts of categorizations are so bound up in certainly one's personal history and a narrative around that is intertwined in one's work, in one's practice. This is true for absolutely any and all artists. In this case, however, we don't use terms like outsider or folk or visionary, and nor do we think it's particularly relevant or helpful to even use the term self-taught. Um, these are artists that are working with various materials in various diverse settings coming from very backgrounds. So to kind of categorize everyone, Black artists from the South within this kind of outsider bubble rings untrue to me. You know, this exhibition is providing that opportunity for the public to really go profoundly into the, uh, the artistic process that these artists worked with, looking at family and uh, artistic relationships among artists. We, in, in the exhibition, one of the first gallery that one enters into, I think of it very much as a, as a creative dialogue amongst uh, Thornton Dial, Ronald Lockett, Lonnie Holly, Mary T. Smith, and Dial's sons. And it was intentional on our part to 
create that space that we hope will get rid of some of these notions of working in complete isolation. I mean, many of these artists come from larger cities like Atlanta or Birmingham or, or Memphis. And so again, yes, it is true. Many of the artists came from rural environments as well. It is not as if they are hermits working and living in complete isolation without having any kind of interaction with other artists, with museums, with the world. And so I prefer to begin, particularly since for many of these artists, this will be the first time that their work is shown in some cases anywhere, but certainly outside of the United States. And so rather than burden the work that has yet to be analyzed, spoken about, explored in its fullness as it should be, we hope that this show will be one of those kind of launching pads for that, for there to be in, in increased interest within the academy, uh, with audiences, what have you. But, you know, instead, I'm bringing in these artists to introduce artists and artistic traditions that they might not have been introduced to previously. That's the point, not to then kind of categorize all of the Black artists from the South or those that are working you know, who perhaps did not go to art school like other artists like Frida Kahlo or Andrew Wyeth. I'm not necessarily like thinking that it's important to preface who they are by um, label or category yet. Yeah, it's such an important point because I, I've often thought about the fact that, you know, in some of the pursuits like what you're trying to do with this show and because of kind of the way museums and organizations, and arts organizations have worked over the years, there's kind of this second form of segregation we do by putting people yeah. in these buckets right and it kind of others artists in a way that may not, i certainly don't think is intentional but it doesn't kind of just say hey let's put the work out there right and see it you know for what it is instead of saying hey this is this group and here's this group and these people fit cleanly into this box or this bucket well in so many ways it's kind of a lack of imagination you know to there's a necessity within the art world, it seems, to upon some sort of, you know, in quotes, discovery, um, to then name it. And I think within that, um, there's an aspect of kind of ownership that I find a little bit challenging to, to deal with. I, I think with the artists in, in the, the exhibition, they're not calling themselves outsider artists. They're not calling themselves book artists. Rarely does an artist, as they are putting their work out there, describing their work within a very narrow field. So often that comes from external forces trying to find a category for it. So then these catch-all categories like sort of outsider or self-taught are kind of catch-alls. You know, it will change hopefully when people explore the work a little bit more, when they are able to kind of see various influences, when they're able to appreciate just the diversity of visual expression coming from these artists living in the South. And quite frankly, when we are putting these labels on artists, it, it means that when someone enters an exhibition, like for, for instance, to be very honest, when we were looking at this show, as I was putting it together, and when many people are trying to describe these artists as like a whole, there was very much this, this desire to, well, we've got all these artists, they're all black, they're from the South, put them into a category. Well, that's the kind of would we do this and it doesn't even make any kind of real sense in how we just look at people as we look at life, um, as we look at a region. And so to, to me, I was really kind of pushing against 
putting the biography of these artists ahead of the work. The biographies, while interesting, and certainly add a larger context through which we can perhaps even further understand some of, some of these artists' works. But initially, what would happen is one gets stuck on the fact that oh, this particular artist perhaps didn't go to school beyond the age of nine. To me, that's more about the system of systemic racism and lack of, of access that was placed upon folks. It doesn't come, it's not, a, it didn't naturally come from, from them. And so when that is how you enter an artist sort of speaking about, for instance, their level of education, I think it would be natural for anyone to imagine first, oh, if they had to leave school at the age of nine, I wonder if they know how to read. I wonder if they know how to write. You know, that's, I think, that unfortunate first response that someone has. So then when they're looking at the work, they already have a barrier that's been placed in front of them, a kind of a sort of gauze through which to not fully clearly see the artist's work because they're burdened with kind of grappling with a fetishization of, of poverty, <laughs> um, sometimes also of black and brown bodies, narratives that are not kind of, that have not been generated by the artists themselves, but have been kind of created by outside forces that themselves are burdened with various sort of baggage that then creates this not quite accurate depiction of an artist and also impedes the viewer to really enter the work. And so that's one of the things that I am striving to do with this show as well is to kind of demolish those barriers that we know certain terms seem to indicate. I'm speaking to you today from Tulsa, right? And we, this is a place that has a very complicated past, uh, as you know, uh, dealing, mm. with, dealing with issues um, like this. And um, we did an exhibition in uh, 2021 that was kind of responding to the centennial of the 1921 Tulsa Race Massacre. Uh, several of the artists that you've worked with were in that show. Lonnie Holly had I had a chance to spend some time with Lonnie Holly, quite an amazing person. Mm. Yes. Uh, see a couple, see a couple of performances from uh, from Lonnie Holly, which were you feel like revelatory. It's, yeah, it's a once in a lifetime thing because of the improvisation and everything that goes on. Mm -hmm. so I feel like you're really in that moment. But that was an interesting thing because, of course, that was the race massacre was something that a lot of America was learning about for the first time. A lot of the world was learning about for the first time. I mean, we certainly were on you know, Faith Ringgold's map of things that have happened in, uh, in, in America, but a lot of people didn't know about that. The, mm -hmm. the works in this show, you know, are American works. They're speaking to American concerns. They may reference American ideas or events or things like that. What kind of educational component does it require when you take a show like this to a place like London? Do they have knowledge of the events or the the cultural reference points that the, that the pieces are making? Or does it take more than usual didactics, educational pursuits to, to make these things make sense for people. Right. Well, I think, you know, I can't really speak for the entire um, English educational system, but, um, <laughs> you know, certainly, I mean, in the same way as that in the United States, we see that people have varying levels of comprehension or sensitivity or, or understanding about these, these topics. I mean, we see it now in the American educational system that is trying to systematically erase some of these conversations. You know, I, I really think the, the point is kind of starting with the work and seeing what the work 
I think one can view this work without knowing all of the history around it. They can view this work in a different way, understanding the history that might be implicit within it. And all these artists also do it in various ways. Some of the artists are responding more specifically to their own personal family history. Some are, are looking at how to work with various materials in sort of new ways. In some ways, that context, that the kind of education around the work really is implicit in some of the materials that are used themselves. I mean, obviously, yes, the work was made in the American South and holds within it, even if just within the, the spirit and the legacy of, and the memory and the history bound within just being a Black person in America, you know, there is an association, obviously, with the legacies of enslaved African-Americans whose forced labor really shaped the economic, social, and agrarian culture of the Deep South. And so from that, really, in, in some ways, the resulting collective body of work is in many ways defined by not only shaping the South, but also the materials of the South. It's reclaiming these materials that have been perhaps cast away. You know, look, one can allow the work to speak for itself. These artists, um, with the challenges that they had to kind of endure, ultimately, they are able to recount these tales of oppression or poverty or racism, as well as joy or creation or triumph through their work. We enter that, be unafraid to enter the visual, formal, aesthetic, creative world of this artist. And then you can find your own way through it. I don't think that education, I don't think that you need a kind of primer of how to approach the work. I think one should just throw themselves in it. You touched on something there, which is, you know, the idea that you know, as a Black American artist from this period, you know, the idea of being able to just to do your work and not feel that you have to kind of speak to something larger or the idea of a burden, kind of the burden of history, you know, having to have everything be viewed through that. I hadn't quite thought about it in that way before. I think that's, you know, kind of an interesting thought that that's just kind of one extra thing that an artist may have to carry with them, that everyone's kind of looking through a certain lens at things and, and um, thinking of things differently. That, that, that was interesting to me. This show is I think going to be quite popular and I'm sure you're going to have a lot of interesting feedback on it but I'm curious for you when you work on a project like this and it doesn't have to be this exhibition specifically but anything that, that you've undertaken how do you know if it works or not you know like when you look at this show six months from now a year from now two years from now how will you know if it was a success or not you know because beyond just people coming to it or anything like that you personally what's your definition of this worked? For me, each one of these artists, a measure of success in some ways for this exhibition is these artists being noted and recognized as artists. We're starting in, you know, at, a, at that point as well of just introducing these artists to the public. But honestly, you know, I would love for a show like this to encourage further scholarship, discussion um, around these artists, other shows. You know, this is, you know, one of those exhibitions that is, while there are themes that run throughout, I've tried to structure it in such a way that 
there are many different entry points that a viewer, wherever they come from, can access this exhibition and this work. So a success would be if someone is at Tate Modern and at the Abakanovitz exhibition, and they are able to see certain conversations that could be had between a Jews Ben quilt maker, uh, like Mary Lee Bendolf, who's in the exhibition, or, or Marlene Bennett-Jones, and see both artists' work in an expanded way that you carry with you a new kind of visual understanding, conceptual understanding of creativity that you carry with you as a general viewer and how that influences other parts of your life, how you can see, how you choose to create, how you look differently at art materials, whether it be organic, whether it be naturally formed. It's about kind of opening a mind. That is a bit of a success. I want there to be, I want curators to come and be introduced to work that they have perhaps not seen a lot of before and decide to really explore an artist in the show. I want to see more shows coming from this. This is not about my ego. Uh, this is not about any sort of like hint of ownership of the, of the stories that these artists have to tell. It's about providing them with a platform from which there are so many different springboards. And that's, to me, that to me would be the success. The success of the show would be having discussions about these artists when we are in our kind of, um, you know, Art History 101 class. That is one type of success, for sure. Uh, it's just uh, seeing them explored differently and variously um, globally, to see the kind of global uh, ascension of these artists. mid-1980s, a collector and art historian named William Arnett started collecting artworks of largely undiscovered black artists from nine southeastern states. A decade or so later, Arnett's efforts culminated in an ambitious survey exhibition titled Souls Grown Deep, African-American Vernacular Art of the South. Presented in conjunction with the 1996 Olympic Games in Atlanta, the Souls Grown Deep Foundation was formed in 2010. Arnett was founder and chairman. He died in 2020 at age 81. Arnett's efforts produced 13 books. Dozens of museums have hosted major exhibitions from the collection. Upon his passing, the artist Lonnie Holly said this to Artnet, quote, without him, most of us would have been waiting and waiting for people and museums to digest and appreciate our art as arts of America. It just wasn't happening. He gave his life so that our art didn't have to ride in the back of the bus, end quote.
Well, that's our show for this week. Museum Confidential is produced and edited by Scott Gregory in the studios of Public Radio Tulsa. Additional production assistance from Jack Dean. For more on the museum and the station, visit philbrook.org or publicradiotulsa.org or both. As always, we suggest both. Until next time, look closer.